What? I was going to say, let's hit it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Did you want to say that? Let's hit it. Okay, great. <laughs> so many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I am Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Catherine Fa in this damn library with us this afternoon. Um, welcome, Catherine. Thank Hi. you. Uh, Catherine is the author of Young God previously and now Ultra Luminous, which came out in December. And uh, we are so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. This was a crazy book. Yeah. <laughs> um, a really crazy one. You got a crazy drink to match it too. Yeah, this is f- this is definitely inspired by the book. There's a um, a drink that uh, our the main character drinks over and over, uh, and she doesn't seem to actually. I don't know if she actually likes drinking it. She just keeps ordering it and having it at this one bar, um, and it's just uh, cherry vodka and Red Bull. <laughs> I didn't want to make just cherry vodka and Red Bull though. <laughs> I wanted to do a uh, so I I found. Um, I found I, I know that tequila is one of the few alcohols that is also a stimulant. Um, I don't know if that's actually true. That's something that I've just been repeating since I heard it in college. <laughs> um, but but uh, I think it is, and it might make sense for why people get a little crazy on tequila. Mm-hmm. So I started with tequila for kind of being the Red Bull of it all, and then uh, I did cherry lemonade, uh, and then uh, some basil and some roasted cacao simple syrup. And I shake that up and a little bit of like mashing of the basil and everything. Yeah, I don't know, it's good. It's a yummy one. What's it called? Oh yeah, I'm calling it The Polish. Nice. (laughs) And it's because another reference to the book that she's constantly um, getting uh, manicures with very, you know, the art seems to really uh, connect with what's happening in the book. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll get to that. First, yeah. first we have other things to do. First, uh, we have capitalism. Yes, we do. Yes. Christopher, would you like to start? No, you should. Okay. <laughs> um, I picked up a copy of this book called Heartland. Uh, that's I think just out from Restless Books. Mm-hmm. It's by Anna Simo. It, it it her debut novel. She's seventy four years old. Mm. Um, she's a fixture of like the downtown New York theater and performance scene. She like founded the Lesbian Avengers. Um, she is like one of the first artists to have performances at most of the major theaters downtown. She's just this like crazy awesome Spitfire woman. Uh, and she has turned her hand towards novel writing. And I heard it was coming out. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'll read that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm stoked to see what it's like. I uh, it, it makes me happy that you can still debut at 74. Yeah. Uh, because that gives me hope that someday, <laughs> someday I can finish my book. Yeah. And maybe it'll be when I'm 74. Cool. Yeah. Um, would you like to uh, talk about what you bought? Yeah, I haven't actually bought this book yet, but I'm intending to buy it. And it is by Fleur Yagi, uh, who is the writer that we'll be talking about talking about later. Um, and it's her book called SS Proleturka. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, it's about her and her, it's fiction, but it, I think it's pretty autobiographical. And it's about her and her dad on this ship. Um, and it's very short, like all her books, maybe 100 pages. Um, but I'm really into her as a writer right now and I want to check it out. So that's what I'm going to be buying soon. Nice. Cool. I love it. Yeah, I I definitely need to go pick up more of her stuff. Yeah, this was this uh, sweet days of discipline was so fascinating. Yeah, very weird writing, yeah. but like, yeah. Well, we again, we will get to this. <laughs> we're so we're uh, keep getting ahead of ourselves because we're excited about the books. Yeah. Um. All right, Christopher, what'd you buy? So I um, I uh, was at Catapult, uh, which also houses like Soft Skull Press and Black Balloon, and um, they graciously handed me a copy of I Parrot. Um, which is a graphic novel written by Deb Olin Unferth. Mm. And uh, How do I know that name? She has done a bunch of stuff. She's Yeah, she's great. She's great. One of my one of my favorite um encounters of Deb Olin Unferth is with um she did the this flash fiction collection along with Sarah Manguso and Dave Eggers and it's like three books in a tiny box. Yeah, that's why I know. Yes. And so this though is she wrote it and it was um it was illustrated by Elizabeth Hadel and I don't know anything really about about it, um, except for it's a graphic novel called I Parrot. Cool. So I'm really excited to to check that out. Um, and yeah, I love being in those little small press, like a like an indie press office, because there's books just towering everywhere. It just looks like I don't know. Art is happening. <laughs> I love Catapult, too. One of my really good friends, Yuka, is the editor of Soft Skull now. Oh, nice. Yeah. They're, they're really great. They've cool. been putting out some amazing books in their short life so far. <laughs> I know. And it's so cool that they merged with, merged with Soft Skull, which mm-hmm. has been a long time um, purveyor of weird, awesome books. Yeah. It's like it's like a, sort of a Voltron sort of situation mm-hmm. where they're like <laughs> teaming up to be even better. Yeah. It's exactly like that's probably really how they... How they pitched it? Their articles of incorporation. <laughs> just like Voltron. <laughs> Signed. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. That's it. Well, let's uh, let's turn our um, minds over to Ultra Luminous, your new novel. Um, do you mind telling everybody who's listening who might not have encountered it yet what it's about? Sure. Um, Ultra Luminous is about a prostitute. Uh kind of a girlfriend experience escort she's very expensive uh her her rate is very high and she provides kind of this experience of having a girlfriend when you buy her services mm-hmm. uh so you, you know, take her out to dinner and uh you know she stays overnight and um so it's a she's the main character of the book uh and it's a it starts with her coming back to New York where she grew up after she's been gone for 15 years in Dubai. Um, and it's just kind of a one-year record of her life back in New York. Um, and I won't say more because I don't want to give away the... <laughs> yeah, well, there's... What happens. Yeah, <laughs> there was... Uh, it's interesting. Some of the jacket copy, I feels like, feel like if you can just pick up this book and not read, just like jump right in. I yeah. highly recommend that. Yeah. Um, because there's some stuff that I think the jacket copy doesn't need to necessarily tell you that would right. be it would have been fun to experience without right but whatever I don't I don't actually believe in spoilers very much so 
there's something about this idea of of what do you put on the jacket versus what what do you leave for the reader to discover and were you part of any of that conversation or I was though the jacket copy is really up to the to the publisher and marketing um but I think for us th- there was an element of surprise in this book that we kind of wanted to keep as a surprise Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, because I think it works better that way as a narrative Mm -hmm. at the same time once you know what happens I think you can still go back and read it and get maybe more from it because you recognize the patterns that are happening in the book um, a lot more yes yeah speaking of patterns that's something I the book felt kind of like um like a classical symphony to me and that there was there are introductions of these moments and then they recur with changes and with growth and shifts and then everything kind of breaks before it comes to a resolution. Hmm. And I, I'm just curious about how you came to structure the book and how you built the structure of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought of it that way, but I do feel like I'm uh, a very rhythmic writer and I really rely a lot on circling back to phrases and ideas that I've already written and reintroducing them in, uh, you know, further scenes further along in the book. So you uh, encounter them again in a different way, which is, I guess is a lot like what uh, classical music does or any music where you repeat phrases. Um, But for me, it was, it was a lot about time. I wanted to make a book that would, they kind of uh, mirrored, uh, time for her and for me (laughs) where I have like a very specific like um I've always been able to see time in my head it's it's like this weird form of uh synesthesia Mm, called like uh it's really the most boring form of synesthesia but uh, (laughs) but it's you basically you just see a, a timeline in front of you that never changes um, in your head. So if you tell me a year like 1974, I will always go to the same place. It's like a shape. Whoa. Um, wow. That's so for me, time has always been this shape. So I kind of wanted to make a book that was a shape of time as well, where, you know, every chapter in the book is a week in her life, a week in, in one year. And um, we see her almost every day because she's extremely orderly. She sees one client on Monday, always on Monday, and the same client always on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so you see almost every day of her life. Um, so that's the way I wanted to structure it uh, when I was thinking about it. That's that's interesting. I, I, I sort of I get the timing thing because if we're going to keep using similes here, <laughs> um, I kind of thought of it as this novel sort of like, and maybe it's just because I read it sort of close to Thanksgiving, um, but it's like cooking an elaborate meal. Like you have to like check in with things. And mm-hmm. so like, especially with these guys who are appearing uh, sometimes, but not others, you, I sort of feel like, oh, like, oh, she hasn't checked in with that guy in a while. I hope he's okay. like, I hope that's all right. And just like, <laughs> oh, right. No, like, it's not on fire. You can, <laughs> you can move to the next. Uh, but yeah, it was a, uh, it was a very singular reading experience, especially, but it made sense for her as a, as an organized person and as also just um, in the tradition of prostitutes in fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I was curious if like you were thinking about other, cause there's like the, there's the, like the Western hooker with a hotter, heart of gold sort of. And then there's like the, I mean, I keep seeing Brett Easton Ellis 
um, talked about in, in conjunction with you. I don't know how you would feel about that. Um, <laughs> you know, I really loved Brett Easton Ellis when I was a teenager. So I don't, you know, he, he meant a lot to me when I was like 14. And I really am sure those, and American Psycho, I think is still a really great book that has really, um, still has such resonance, like mm-hmm. oh, yeah. may, maybe even more so today than when it came out. Uh, just how, and it's hilarious, uh, you know, there's whole chapters on his beauty routine and like on going through every song of a horrible Whitney Houston album, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but I guess I wasn't really thinking about other prostitutes. Uh, I was just thinking about um, if I was a prostitute, how, how I would behave, Um because I, I mean, I've never done sex work. I have no idea what that would be like, but I can imagine, uh, you know, I'm, I know how men and women relate to each other, I think. And to just make that all about a transaction and a monetary exchange, mm-hmm. uh, though at the same time, it's sex and emotions and you're never going to be able to take that out of the equation either. Uh, I think that was what I was thinking about the most when I was uh, writing uh, and to me, it was prostitution was her job, and uh, so I wanted to portray that clearly, which is why the I think the sex is really explicit because I wanted I didn't want it to be gauzy or soft focus at all. You know, I wanted it to be like this is exactly what goes on mm-hmm. when uh, a prostitute and a man who has bought her are alone in a hotel room together. Right, uh, and that was really important to me. Right, right. It's definitely not. Uh or at least not to me. It wasn't like sexy sex. It was much it was definitely like transactional feeling. Yeah. Something I really loved about both of your books is how tight and punchy the whole thing is. Like every single line has purpose in the way that people say like that's what Ernest Hemingway did. Mm-hmm. And you read those books and you're like if he was cutting all this shit, he could have cut half of these lines. <laughs> and I've, I've heard you talk about Young God and the process of writing that book. Right. It was um, like a, you've told me it was like a, like a hundred thousand words long before you started uh, slicing at it. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you, it, did you do the same thing with Ultra Luminous or has that become like, have you figured out how to just cut to the core now? Yeah, I thankfully did not have to do that with Ultra Luminous. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, it just kind of came out that way and there's not a lot of stuff that I cut. Um, at the same time, it took me the exact same number of years to write. So I I don't, (laughs) there's no shortcut (laughs) that I've come up with. Um, but yeah, it was, and just her personality. She's a real, really a no bullshit person because she has seen a lot. She's been a prostitute for 15 years, which is a long time Mm -hmm. to be in that world. Um, so she's not romantic about relationships, um, though she does fall in love and, you know, she has boyfriends that she cares about a lot, but it's not some teenage idea of sex and romance. She's, she's very, you know, um, clear about what relationships mean. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm curious if, um, you know, these, the, the guys that show up who, who have good, really good uh monikers uh just uh the creation of these and like i don't i don't know i just wanted to talk about uh like calf brain guy and guy who buys me things (laughs) um you know 
how well do you know them as characters or, or you only see them through Kay's eyes when you're writing it as well? I mainly saw them through her eyes. I, I know. And I only really saw her through the eyes of the book. I never, you know, thought about her life outside of the book. I, that's not something I really do. I'm not a very psychological writer where I have backstories for everybody. So I was interested in them to the extent that she was interested in them, which is she needs to know enough to be able to keep their attention and um, just the basic things they show her when she's around them. Uh, at the same time, their archetypes or their characters came very easily to me. I'm not sure exactly why, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, if you live in, in New York a long time, which I, I've been here almost 17 years, you encounter a lot of these these type of guys. Um, and there's a lot of money in New York, and it's just inevitable that you'll uh, run into a calf sprain guy at some <laughs> point in your life. <laughs> and that refers to a, something that he would eat uh, ate on a date and not necessarily his type of himself. <laughs> right, Although, yeah. you know, your mileage may vary. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was neat to see how I can imagine Kay as a like a supporting 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 character in another book and like I've I've seen her on the periphery with each of these individual characters like I have I've seen I've seen the artist in real life and I've seen the junk bond guy and I've seen calf brain guy and to see now them become the supporting players mm -hmm. especially at uh, our particular political moment right now and just to be like yeah fuck you guys i'm interested in her mm -hmm. that it just it was really cool yeah i mean that was that's always something i'm interested in my in in my writing where i think everything i write is about female ambition however twisted it comes out <laughs> um and yeah i'm always more interested in the women than the men in almost any work of art um you know i'll be like what about your wife what's going on with her you know she has like three scenes where she just comforts you and that's all we know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i liked that the character of the sheik almost functions in that way right mm -hmm. functions like the traditional wife of the powerful main character figure yeah where you're like oh yeah he's off building bombs or doing whatever he's doing that's so sweet <laughs> Um, I've I've heard it said before, and I and I've experienced this myself that it's easier to write about something after you've left it and come back. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, and I felt like in the novel there was a lot of like her viewpoint of New York was definitely like um, from after leaving and coming back, like having mm -hmm. fresh but not fresh eyes. Um, how did you go about achieving that sort of um, viewpoint? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's the best way to write about a place um, because if you're really in it, it's hard to see it. So it's either you have to be a, a newcomer or a returnee. Um, and yeah, and it was fun because I've always wanted to write about the changes in New York. I mean, I've lived here since 2001, so I haven't seen the, the really momentous changes, but it has changed a lot yeah. since even I moved here. Um, and it... It feel you know I love it. It's the place I want to live for the rest of my life, and it's given me so much. But at the same time, it can feel so alien sometimes when you're walking around and you just you don't understand anymore um, where you fit in the city, and you have you're like constantly reevaluating that even when you don't leave, just because there's such turnover mm -hmm. and there's uh, everything's changing all the time. 
Where where are you from originally? I'm from North Carolina originally. Okay. Yeah. So that gives you a certain uh, viewpoint, I guess, too. Yeah. Did you come here for writing uh, in 2001? Yeah, I came here to go to NYU. I actually went to Tisch. I thought I was going to be a filmmaker, which did not pan out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I, you know, I wanted to come here since I was probably 12 and I just like single-mindedly made that happen. It was always the place I knew where... I felt most myself, which is true. I still feel most like myself in New York, but there's often this like alienation that I experience all the time. Cause like, you know, a a bodega that you've been going to for 10 years will suddenly just close and turn into like a fancy coffee shop. And it's just, it can be really disorienting. Mm. I walked into a Dwayne Reed and was, uh, got a couple of things and left, got on the subway and, it was the first time that she goes into a Dwayne Reed and buys sushi. Mm-hmm. And for like that image just stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And that the weirdness of like, that doesn't feel, that doesn't feel like what you picture in New York as you picture like the good sushi place and your bodega and all of these things. And to see all of those things sort of coming together in this one slightly dangerous package. Mm-hmm. But I'm also curious if you've had Dwayne Reed sushi. <laughs> I have not. I'm not that suicidal. <laughs> I mean, it, it may be delicious. I have no idea. But that was always just a joke I had with myself that, um, yeah, when I moved here, Dwayne Reed's were really funky. Like, they were just the hometown pharmacy and mm-hmm. everything was dusty and, you know, it was very New York. Everything, you know, it's like when you return from overseas and you go into JFK for passport control and it's just like, you know, a basement mm-hmm. full of it was exactly like that and that's i mean that's how new york always will be i think i don't think they'll ever go away but uh at some point in the last maybe eight or nine years uh duane reed got bought by walgreens and overnight it felt like it just became this suburban very clean spotless store where suddenly there was sushi (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) And I, every time I saw it, I just thought, what kind of person would buy this? Yeah. And then when I started writing this book, I was like, she would buy this. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing that you check in on uh, that isn't uh, sushi or the guys is her nail polish, which I kept um, clocking just because she gets such interesting designs, um, like uh, the life support or the mm-hmm. um, the EKG readout oh, on, yeah. on one and... Um, and I had to do it myself. I, I put some polish on my nails and I'm already noticing, like you notice your hands or you notice yourself in a different way every time. Um, and so they didn't, they just functioned as an image before, but now I'm sort of seeing them as like what they might do for her character of like trying to feel like a different person. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, your nail polish looks fabulous. By the way. <laughs> just on my thumbs. It's really, it makes me laugh every time I text. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, she's also part of being a prostitute. I mean, and also just being a certain kind of woman is it's a lot of maintenance, mm-hmm. a lot of beauty maintenance. Um, and so a lot of the book is spent, you know, with her taking care of her appearance because mm-hmm. that is her most valuable asset. Um, and she worries about getting old, too, because she's in the book in her mid 30s uh which unfortunately for women is starting to age out (laughs) um so the the getting her nails done is also a very new york thing where 
uh, women in other cities don't get manicures like women in New York do. It's, uh, but um, so I just, I wanted her, it would just be a natural thing for her to do as part mm-hmm. of her life here. At the same time, she's totally obsessed with patterns. And so she will look for them everywhere and she'll also create them. And that's what she does with her nails a lot where she'll just ask for, you know, um, something that's been on her mind like the life support or you know she'll do private jokes with herself when she gets wall and door on her fingernails Uh, yeah (laughs) that's right you mentioned girlhood and that just makes me think immediately of the book you brought um that you had us read sweet days of discipline by a flair yegi um, which is also, but it's about a very different type of girlhood, obviously, since it's, a, <laughs> since it's a 12 to 14 year old girl in boarding school, although it's a woman at it's some indeterminate age looking back at her girlhood of 12 to 14 at boarding school. Um, do you want to add to that of, of what Sweet Days of Discipline and, and why you brought it? Yeah, I just heard about Fleur Yegi uh, recently. I think there's a New Yorker article about her, and I was totally intrigued because she was described as having, um, you know, no interest in uh, redemption or uh, psychological concerns or um, uh, catering to the reader at all. And also she wrote very short books like I tend to do. So, so. And this book, Sweet Days of Discipline, has been described as her masterpiece. And so I wanted to start with that. And yeah, it's about um, she herself was in boarding school in Switzerland for all, for most of her childhood. And, and this book takes place in a boarding school in Switzerland. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a strangely uh, organized novel as well because the timeline's a little like gauzy. You don't yeah. quite know, like even like someone will have been written out of the book. It seems like like they'll have left the boarding school, but she'll keep referring to them and talking to them again. Um, and little things like that happen all over the place. But I, I just was, um, I was so interested already in the world. I love boarding school novels in general, mm-hmm. but she's, she as the character is constantly like looking at the way that like everybody's clothes are per- are either perfectly or not perfectly like apportioned in their little cubbies and just their whole their whole universe seemed like very small and compact and like everything had to slot into a very specific space which i can see why you w- that would make for a 12 to 14 year old morose sad girl it just seems like she's <laughs> She, um, some of the thoughts that are attributed to her are, seem like really wise beyond her years sometimes, but other times it seems like, oh yeah, a 12 to 14 year old would totally, totally think that. Um, like, uh, I'm going to just bring up this one thing that I flagged. Uh, many of the girls possess diaries with little brass studs with keys. They think they possess their lives. Oof. Yeah, there's little moments like that, which you like you stop like it's it is like poetry in that in that same way. There's um, menace is not quite the right word, but there is there is a a darkness that is shot through this book. Mm -hmm. And it's lines like that. And I think it is the way that you're saying it, that idea that it it is clearly somebody older looking back, but also somehow channeling what it was like to be at that age. Mm -hmm. And so the the young girl almost takes on this preternatural like intelligence 
in that way that yeah, any kid who is like wise beyond their years, there's something just like a little unsettling. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, she's an operator. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Uh, did you have to keep reminding yourself that she's like twelve to fourteen? No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have been a 12-year-old girl, so I kind of know what it's like. And um, you are, you're, you're way more mature than you look, which is dangerous. Um, and girls do mature a lot faster than boys. So you're kind of, I mean, maybe you're, you're like the equivalent of a 20-year-old boy, you know, in, in your like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, in everything, yeah. you know, you're adolescent, you're, you know, so I wasn't surprised by any of it. I guess what struck me the most about the the novel was it was so cold and so hot at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she's got this crush or I, it seems like girls sort of pair off. Mm-hmm. It's that that's how she sort of sees the world anyway. Is that like people like choose their one girl and that's their best friend and they always are together. And so she's chosen this um nihilist <laughs> uh Frederic um, who just kept uh, uh, the first time that she sees her, she's like, I, I want to destroy that girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is that menace yeah. that you're talking about. And then like the next page, she wants to be best friends with her. Um, which is again, that's, I, that's not a, a state of mind that I quite, that I, I was interested to read, but it wasn't something that I, I recognized. Yeah, I feel like I do. I, it's very competitive between women, especially at that age when you're first kind of recognizing that you're a sexual being and that a lot of it depends on your looks and um, how. And so there's a lot of just sizing up other girls and trying to, you know, am I prettier than her? Is she prettier than me? How do I like conquer this this thing? So. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe I just, maybe, maybe Flora and I are just the same type of girl. I don't know. Um, yeah, she seems to think like like deep beauty is almost like to her is like a flaw or like a sign yeah. of frivolity. Like there's a character that comes in later, this woman, Micheline, uh-huh. who she's like, she's so much fun. She like jokes around all the time and she's too beautiful. Like I can't take her seriously. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me a little bit of some of Megan Abbott's books, mm-hmm. um, like Dare Me and uh, You Will Know Me. Yeah, the, just like watching these these whiplash turns of sizing each other up and being like, "Oh, today we're gonna be friends," but like that might not be true tomorrow. And adding that into this sort of hazier structure of time, and yeah, characters who keep popping back in, I found that it was. I had to pay attention in a way that I don't always have to do with a novel. Mm. Like I couldn't let this one just wash over me. I feel like I had to really dig in and I'm wondering if that was the same for either of you or if it did just like you let it wash over you. No, I actually read it twice. Um, Cool. Yeah. The first time I read it was kind of drawn out. I mean, it's very short. It's a hundred pages, but I was just doing a lot of other things. So it was kind of spread out over a couple of weeks and then I just felt like I was missing something. And so a couple of days ago, I read the whole thing in two days. Mm-hmm. And it was so much more powerful um, when it was condensed like that. 
and I was really paying attention. I also looked up everything I didn't understand because a lot of there's a lot of phrases in German and mm -hmm. French that aren't translated, and a lot of just cultural things I didn't. But know sometimes about. they are translated too. Right, like, it's true. <laughs> yeah. uh, which I thought was really strange. I actually, um, I was thinking of John Knowles, a separate piece, huh. while I was reading this, just for like the. I guess like the male version mm -hmm. and the male version, like they would never admit to any sort of like, like crush or like love as, as um, the main character here, which is she named and I'm just forgetting it. Or is it just like the narrator? Uh, I don't think she's ever named. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, anyway, but you, so you, uh, I, I just think that's so interesting that like it's on, it's like page one of their not of the book, but of their like relationship that she's like, yeah, we sort of, I sort of have a crush on this girl. And I just don't think that the boys in a separate piece would ever be able to <laughs> do that, even though that's also what's going on right in a way. They're just, uh, he's so interested in that, in that sort of beautiful boy. Um, thinking about the, the looking things up, there was one thing that caught in my mind. And I don't know why when she's talking about the fact that her mother now lives in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And there was there's one line where they're talking about sort of because this takes place in I think the early 50s, mm -hmm. and so the sort of the aftermath of the war. And it hit me that like she might be the daughter of a Nazi, mm. <laughs> because a bunch of a bunch of the Nazis fled Germany to Brazil, mm. and there were there were just some of these weird structural things and the the conversations and the oddities. Um, the daughter of uh, an African king, mm -hmm. African president. I forget. President. African president shows up, and they everybody is sort of fascinated. Like the teachers are fascinated her. by this woman, right? Except for her, she's sort of like, oh, whatever. <laughs> but I, I, when I finally pegged the book in time, I started thinking about all of these things, and I went down like a Wikipedia rabbit hole of like, oh wow, yeah, the Nazis went to South America, crazy. <laughs> That's so that's so interesting to 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 sort of put her there although she's not she's swiss so right it i mean assume i don't i'm not totally sure but i would assume that her parents were neutral and out of it um but she does she has a german roommate mm -hmm. who she's always yeah. talking about as her parents were most definitely nazis yeah and that this girl grew up in nuremberg um you know in the after in the rubble and that she would never even say the word war and i think there's a line in the book where uh the main character always wanted to ask her if she knew if she had known hitler mm -hmm. but she <laughs> never she never did yeah um well i mean that whole relationship um is so funny because she she starts that she introduces that german roommate as like oh, i barely remember her <laughs> i don't right. even know anything about that girl like i can't even think of her face but then like that's so not true like she knows her so deeply but she she obviously had a very i don't know that that relationship is very fraught yeah because she yeah. um she shares such intimate moments with her but she's also like completely cold cold i mean that's that's what kept coming up but yeah yeah, I mean, it is. It's very chilly, but at the same time, there is this, like, burning fire underneath and where it's, like, so melodramatic. A lot of <laughs> what she talks about is so, like, that teenage first love you have. Right. Um, and that was what was most interesting to me. It was, like, this very strange um, mixture that really worked for me. Right. I mean, you I mean, you keep expecting, like, a romance to come to something. Like, yeah. like a, I guess, in the... 
in a traditional novel, they would, right? Like something, something would break mm -hmm. and she would either actually hook up with Frederic or something or, or not. But that was, that's just not what she's up to. Right. Instead, I don't know what, what did she accomplish instead? I, I, uh, I'm, I, I was so transfixed by it, but I'm not sure exactly what I'm left with other than a lot of like hazy notions. Yeah. Oh, I think the ending complicates it too. When she sees Frederick again later in life. Right. And, and we don't even know how much later or. Yeah. Like, it's clear that some decent chunk of time has passed, but it, it's unclear now where the narrator is in her life and what she's doing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you sort of end up with that question of like, what, what were you trying to do in all of these cases? Mm hmm. I'm curious, just in a in a real book clubby question, would you guys did you ever like dream or or want to go to boarding school or did you? I don't know. Um, I definitely did not go to boarding school. I grew up in Appalachia and went to very terrible public schools. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've always thought it would, I'm kind of glad I didn't, um, just because it seems uh, yeah like a hot house like <laughs> <laughs> um, where you, you never like escape your classmates. Right. Uh, you're with them all the time. Yeah. Um, how about you guys? I did not. I also, I went to public schools outside of Philadelphia and I, I had friends who even just went to private schools and even that culture, like a friend of mine went to uh, an all boys school for middle school and it was just, he came out of it a completely different, way more monstrous human being. <laughs> um, and so while I enjoy reading, especially English novels about boarding school, uh, I'm very happy to have not had <laughs> that experience myself. Yeah, I think I think it's just sort of like maybe it's just because of Harry Potter. Um, just like that boarding school just seemed so, there's so much magic there, but even <laughs> not even not like in actual Skippy, magic, <laughs> actual magic. But in you know Skippy dies or uh, mm -hmm. a separate piece or even um, the Great Brain novels. Uh, I don't know if you guys read those as kids. No. Uh, they're fantastic. Uh, and I don't even know if they're in print anymore and they should be. Uh, but they kind of paint them as like this sort of like, like there's a lot of mischief that one can get into. Um, but maybe I've just, I've, I think I've really only read the all boys ones or the co-ed ones, I guess. If it's Harry Potter. Um, did you read uh, the secret place? Either of you by Tana French. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did that one. I think that's, an all girl it's an all girl school and i think some of them are boarders right but not everybody which is also that's a complication in and of itself right this is but this is unlike any boarding school novel and it's not you know usually i feel like the boarding school novel uh it gives you this this lovely structure of how like school is structured like you get there and you meet people and, mm -hmm. you know you have your your semesters that you're uh you're using for melodramatic dramatic moments of like oh god finals and my crush right um or whatever uh and this is like there's none of that use of the um of the structure of of a, of a year at school at all um which is great i mean it's it's so much of this sweet days of discipline catches you off guard mm -hmm. i guess the one uh one more thing i wanted to ask about this book was if if that made sense to you the sweet days of discipline like she sort of is looking back at this and saying like 
there was night it was nice to have um order and someone to like be like above you telling you what to do um she and it was a nice memory for her i mean that was something that i was sort of intrigued by and i was curious if you guys like that as well i definitely i did see that for sure i saw it as her reflecting on how the structure and discipline of her time allowed her to think about these other things and get up to maybe not mischief in like the traditional sense but the structure and discipline of the school allowed her to have these thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's someone who's obsessed with order uh, and chaos, which is interesting because Kay in my book is also obsessed with order and chaos. <laughs> um, and the fact that she, everything you do to order the universe is ultimately useless. Um, at the same time, she's obsessed with finding patterns and, or not patterns, but order. Um, and what was most interesting to me when she saw Frederick again at the end is Frederick is like living in this squat or something, you yeah. know, with with no heat, and she's had she's totally um, life of like a saint or something is how it's described. It's just total nihilism, mm-hmm. and that the narrator says, "Oh yes, Frederick has." Uh, moves ahead of me again and I can't understand her again she's you know she's doing something that's in the future and I can't understand it and uh I think that was was my takeaway from the novel is that this yeah this that the writer is uh always going to try to reach this um state that Frederick got into through madness because she's insane Mm -hmm. um that is actually the like antithesis of order and discipline, mm-hmm. but it's so close to it. Right. Um, and it's kind of like where it all may lead you. Right. I, I feel like you're, um, of course, just because you brought it to us, I was thinking of the two books in concert, but they're very, there is a lot of similarities of like, um, the structure and as, as well as the, the, um, just section to section and, and like tight poetry. And yeah, it's it's, it's a neat pairing. I would recommend both of them if you have the opportunity. Yeah, back to back. Because there is, <laughs> I did that, and there is something it, when you are thinking about questions of order versus chaos and the way that the two intermingle. Both books started to do that a little bit and started to intermingle a little bit for me. Should we talk about other things we endorse too? Sure. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's move to recommendations. Okay. You want to start? Sure. Um, another short novel that kind of intermingles order and chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valeria Lucelli's first novel, Faces in the Crowd. I finally got around to reading it. Um, at work, the public did a staff book club and we read her Tell Me How It Ends essay. And I had read that last year, but in preparation for it, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to dive into her first novel it's the only thing i hadn't read and it it is so cool and trippy and she's writing as uh like a a young mother who has just moved to mexico and is remembering her time uh as like a wild youth in new york 
And then she's also trying to write a novel about um, Gilberto Owen, the poet, in New York. And the three narratives start to blend together. And she's changing every almost every paragraph. It shifts who the narrator is. But some of these scenes can apply to two or three of the narrative moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a surprising like head twister in a way that I went into it expecting something a little bit challenging but by no means what it was wow uh so i really dug that yeah it sounds good yeah i actually have that at home and i have never read it i'm gonna do that now cool uh do you want to go next sure um i've been on a whole russian kick this whole year where i've basically only been reading russian books um weirdly (laughs) uh um I've always been fascinated with Russia, uh, but I just read Chekhov's uh, nonfiction book uh, about a penal colony called Sakhalin Islands. Um, it's very long, and I hesitate to recommend it because it's it'll only be a be for a certain type of reader. I mean, it's probably like five hundred pages and three hundred pages of notes, but <laughs> I was so into it. Um, <laughs> cool. Um, so who is that certain type of reader? Uh, I don't... I get someone like me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, well, he wrote this... It was it was before he be, he wrote any of his most famous plays or short stories, and he had just found out that he had tuberculosis. Mm. So he decided that he would take this trek all the way across Siberia to, to the end of Russia. It's in the very far east. It's this island that's just above Korea. Um, it took, I think, three or four months for him just to get there. It definitely took a few years off his life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he went there at, and he went to every single settlement on the island and took a census of everyone. And, of course, he was a practicing doctor, so he also offered medical care to the prisoners there. And it's kind of just, uh, in a way, an expose about the czarist uh, system of punishment, which... Um, the exile system, which pretty much persists to this day in Russia, where people are sent to whatever they call the gulag now, yeah. you know, just uh, they're sent away across Siberia to a prison. I mean, it's been around for a long time, the practice of it. Um, and it was just written so beautifully and, you know, typical Chekhov, you know, style. And uh, it just had every um emotion you could think of packed Mm. into this book because it was these extreme circumstances where people were exiled for life um and could never go back to russia um and there's an amazing chapter just on the death penalty and how they often got it wrong it would save people at the very last second like they would have like a noose around their neck and they'd be like no just take it off (laughs) you know and and, uh it was is yeah um, it's an, kind of an amazing book um, if you can read 500 pages with 300 pages of notes. I kind of do want to read that. I've re- I've read all of Chekhov's plays and I know some of his short fiction, but that it sounds like the perfect thing to task him to write. Mm. Like it, it just feels like he would have the right amount of empathy and the right amount of distance mm-hmm. to be. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Christopher. Yeah, I'm a, I'm not going to recommend a book this time. Uh, I'm going to recommend a podcast. Okay. So, I've heard of those. Yeah. We like them. Um, this one is called uh, Heaven's Gate, and it is about the, the cult Heaven's Gate. Um, 
and uh, which I've always been fascinated by since I stumbled across that very unsettling goodbye video. So I don't if you're not familiar with the cult, they um they all there was like 40 of them or or, or a few more than 40 and they all killed themselves um because the Haley Bop comet was coming and there was the uh they're uh, gonna hitch a ride. They right? were gonna hitch a ride in the spaceship that was in Halle Bop Comet's tail. Right. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> um, and they all wore Nike Decades uh, black sneakers with a purple swoosh, and they all wore tracksuits that said "Away Team" as a like homemade patch. Oh my god. <laughs> and it's just like all the details of this are like they they sound funny, but they're not right (laughs) but um but this this goodbye video is it's haunted me since i've seen it which is just it's them like saying goodbye to their families and everything and they're like completely and utterly lucid and happy and they're just like they can't wait they're just really excited um about like going to the next part of their journey and so it's just very odd and the way that this podcast is structured um, he kind of the the host is taking the um, taking the tack of really this could have happened to anybody like it sounds crazy mm. that this is but all of these people were really normal and it, this is like the first weird thing that they did a lot of them Whew. so and he so he's like this could have happened to you like every time wow a really really interesting way to go into it and then he's like talking to the families and talking about um, really talking about like individual members of the cult um so i highly recommend the podcast it's been one of the most fantastic listens that i've come across in a long time cool so yeah (laughs) real fun 2018 listening (laughs) we're partying now yeah um, no, you are partying because you're listening to this show. Yeah, you're partying listening to this show. Yeah. This is the party. I'm going to drink more of this drink. <laughs> um, but Catherine, thanks so much for joining yeah, thank us you for coming. in the damn library. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it. And we also really appreciate you, listener, uh, for listening to this show. And also because you've already probably left us an iTunes review at this point. And if you haven't... You well, should go check maybe, just to be safe. Maybe just go and click five stars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, if you've already done that and you already love the show and you want to even contribute to our coffers, uh, you can do that at uh, patreon.com slash smdb. Boy, it'd be nice to have coffers. True ones? Like, yeah. It just implies a, a certain amount of wealth. Does it? To me, it I does. I actually don't know what a coffers is. I've used that phrase for ages now. <laughs> well, yeah. now your secret has been revealed. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's an all right secret. <laughs> <laughs> as far as secrets revealing goes. All right. Well, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Stay warm. Stay warm. And thanks again, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you.